so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, it's been my pleasure to lead you through a series the last several weeks about why we are here as a church, what are the primary functions of, of the church, what should we be doing. We talked about worship, that we ought to be just adoring God, just losing ourselves in adoration of him. We talked about fellowship, how we ought to be in fellowship one another, and fellowship didn't just mean sitting beside someone, nor did it just mean a potluck dinner. It was deeper and richer than that. We talked about discipleship, and today we're going to add service to that list. The head of the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope, has nine titles. His Holiness the Pope, Bishop of Rome, Vicar of Jesus Christ, Successor of the Prince of the Apostles, Supreme Pontiff of the Universal Church, Primate of Italy, Archbishop and Metropolitan of the Roman Province, Sovereign of the State of Vatican City, Servant of the Servants of God. Nine titles. I don't know where you get all that on a business card. In contrast, the Apostle Paul's favorite title was Paul, a servant. That was his favorite way to identify himself, Paul, a servant. Several words are used in the Bible to refer to servant types of positions or activities. I'll probably mispronounce the Greek words. My old Greek professor in school used to say, pronounce it any way that you want. It's unlikely anybody there is going to correct you. One, doulos, means bond servant. Another, diakonos, could be used to define somebody who did something like waiting on tables. A third, huperites, literally means under rower. It's used in several places, including Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, when Paul suggests it is an appropriate title for himself, and John 18.36, when Jesus stood before Pilate. Of those words, this is the one that I find particularly fascinating. So I want to talk about what that means for a moment. The lowest deck of a war galley, a ship made for war, was made of single rows of benches on both sides of the ship where the rowers sat. And on a little deck raised up above them so that each rower could see him was the captain of the ship. The rowers were down near the bottom of the ship where they couldn't even see where the ship was going. But it was their task to row wherever the captain said. If he wanted the ship to move, they rowed instantly. If he wanted them to stop, they had to stop instantly. If he wanted the ship to turn, then only the rowers on one side rowed while the others sat quietly. Their whole business 
was to obey his orders faithfully and instantly as cooperatives, as under rowers. This is the same word that Jesus used when he stood before Pontius Pilate and Pilate asked him if he were a king. Jesus replied, My kingship is not of this world. If my kingship were of this world, my servants, Huperites, would fight. That is, if my kingdom were an earthly kingdom and I told my servants to fight, that's what they'd be doing. But my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. Remember, even the wind and the waves obeyed Jesus. He said, if those who are under my authority were told to fight, they'd be fighting. But that's not what I'm here about. I'm here in humbleness. I'm here in humility. I'm here in obedience to my Father's will. I'm here to be found faithful. Jesus' disciples knew that about him in an intellectual kind of way, but it didn't always sink in. They needed to see what it looked like in a very practical way, and so he showed them. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 13. And we're just going to read the first 17 verses of that chapter. I'll give you just a moment to get there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 13. I suspect we have several different translations in the room, so mine may sound a bit different. There may be a different word choice here or there, but it will sound largely the same. Follow with me. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, I'm, I don't want to be disrespectful to the text, but when I read that, I had this picture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and then going to the next one and then going to the next one and then Peter apparently says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, yes, Peter, and here's your son. You know, I've, 
I've washed everybody else's. Yes, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. But Peter said, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now, in the culture of the time in which we read, household servants commonly washed the feet of guests. People commonly wore sandals and walked on dirt paths that would be very dusty, and so their feet would, would, uh, would get dirty with the dust of walking. But here's what makes this story particularly special to me. The scripture says this, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. That's powerful. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now here's what that's like. If I, if you suddenly discovered that you were given an elevated, elevated position and that everything that you could see was under your authority and you said, thank you, Father, and got a bowl of water and got down on your hands and knees to scrub the floor. If you were, if you were president of a company and you said, man, that's great. I've got work to do and got down and began cleaning the toilets. That would be comparable. We're talking about the Lord of the universe knowing that the Father had given all Things into his hands. Everything. That's a powerful lesson. And one that was constantly in my mind as I worked on this message. Jesus was completely aware of his status as the son of God and supreme ruler of this world. But he didn't hesitate to serve others. He acted, in fact, like this is how rulers ought to behave. 
And then he said we ought to serve one another and that we'd be blessed as we did that. So as you've already grown to expect over the last few weeks, I ask myself, what do we need to know or understand as a church about service? And then I numbered them. And Lance, there are not eight. I'm sorry, buddy. It just pointed out to me this last week that in my previous sermons there were eight points to each one, and I didn't do that on purpose. I guess I'm just an eight kind of guy. But I did learn some things as I studied. Number one, we serve because we are called to serve and because Jesus modeled servanthood as a uniquely Christian way to live life. Now some of us apparently have convinced ourselves that there are two classes in the church the called to serve, and the not so much called. This is no more true than the idea that there should be two groups called disciples and not so much disciples. The truth is, every one of us as Christians are called. We are all called to discipleship. We are all called to serve. We are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, modeling our own behavior and attitudes after his. So if we're modeled, if we are to model our lives after his, what would that look like? Well, first of all, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 tells us Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Think of that. He made himself of no reputation. If you're like me, as I was growing up, I was taught by my parents that I should guard my reputation above everything. In hard times, they said, your reputation may be all that you have. And yet we just read that Jesus... Again, knowing that all things are under him, all things have been placed into his hands, humbled himself and disregarded his reputation in everything but faithfulness and set about to do the job a servant would normally do. Uh, I found it interesting, by the way, that Paul followed this same model as as he emulated Jesus. As he traveled the world as an evangelist and as a very influential leader in the church, he would have had the right, it would seem, to claim some special privileges. And yet Acts chapter 20 records Paul when he says this. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourself know that these hands have provided for my necessity and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus 
that he said it is more blessed to give than receive. Now you will remember that Paul was a tent maker and he said, I didn't ask you to support me. I worked with these hands, but somehow I had never seen this before. He said, these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. He said, I'm not only self-supporting, I support those who are traveling with me. Paul understood that Jesus' concept of servanthood was a model intended for each and every one of us in the church. And we can know that this is God's will for each one of us in particular because Jesus asked us to do as he did and Jesus always acted in accordance with his Father's will. His service was a reflection of God's will. God sent him to serve. That's why he came. And it's a primary reason why we are here, to serve. We are called to serve. And we are called to serve faithfully. Incidentally, there is one verse I stumbled across that has to do with an unfaithful servant. And it's found in Proverbs 25, verse 19. And it says, Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. We are to be found faithful in service. Number two, we serve from a heart of love because God first loved and served us. Now, we hear a lot about God loved us first, but he served us first. When we're served by someone else, our status or our importance or our position is put on display But when we serve others, making them more important than ourselves, our Christianity is showing. Remember, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And where does that love come from? It'd be great to say we're just naturally altruistic human beings who have learned to love, but the truth and this is part of the Christian worldview that I talked about last week, the truth is that we are fallen creatures and we are, each of us, deeply affected by sin. What we naturally desire is usually what we think is best for us, not somebody else. It's only as we allow God's love to be expressed through us that we really know how to love and to serve others. Did you ever notice that there's one person who can mess up time and time again and you're still willing to give them the benefit of the doubt? That person is you. And I might add, most of the time, pretty much exclusively you. (laughs) We don't give everyone that much benefit of the doubt. And yet Jesus insisted 
that we should do so as we serve. He said we should love the neighbor who won't mow his grass and throws beer cans in your yard just as deeply as yourself. He even insists that we should love that person if he is positioning himself as your enemy and doing so intentionally. We demonstrate God's love to the world in service. The universal language of love is service. They will know we are Christians by our love. That's just a nice sounding phrase. But what does that mean? They'll know we are Christians by our love as I just stand here and go, hmm, and just radiate love, right? That doesn't do anything for anybody. You just look silly. They'll know we are Christians by our love, but the language of love is service. Service shows our love is genuine. And it's an expression of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. When we say we are grateful and that we love those who God loved first, but fail to follow this by putting service in action, we make ourselves out to be one of two things. We're either simpletons who don't understand love or service, or we're liars. As I studied, I ran across a little cartoon. And I want to describe it for you. It hits a little bit too close to home. This cartoon showed a picture of a woman lying in her sickbed, obviously in misery. And in the sink, there were stacks of dirty dishes and a huge basket of clothes needing to be ironed set nearby. There were a couple of dirty children fighting in one corner. And in another corner, there was a cat licking spilled milk on the floor. Through the kitchen window, you could see a yard badly in need of attention. And a smiling couple stood in the doorway with their Bibles in their hand. And the caption beneath this cartoon said, Well, Florence, we're happy to pray with you today. And if there's anything we can do to help, you just let us know. It was obvious what needed to be done. John chapter 15 says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? In those verses that we read earlier from the book of John, it says, having loved them, he loved them to the end. He went all the way to the cross for us. That's how committed he was to serving Number three, we serve upward when we want to advance or be recognized, but we serve downward to show love and humility. When we serve those who have authority over us or are in a position to do us good, we do no more than any man would do. 
And although we may be doing that out of a desire to be found faithful, we often serve upward in an attempt to advance or to curry favor. When we serve those who are below us in authority, who have no influence, who are not in a position to do any good for us, then we truly model Jesus' love. After all, he served us. How far below Jesus are we in terms of authority and influence? Unimaginably far, right? John 13, 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. We talked last week about what it meant to be a disciple. And we've said that if you are a disciple of Christ, then your goal is to be a carbon copy of Christ. That means we serve all of the way. Notice again the connection between serving and love. You don't serve others by making them serve you. You don't love others by making them serve you. You show it by serving them. The person who possesses the love of God will be led to perform acts of loving service. And it can't be faked. It's genuine or it's meaningless. One of the dangers faced by the church today is the unintentional cultivation of a congregation of consumers rather than disciples. What do consumers look like? Consumers are simply people looking to be served. What what do disciples look like? Disciples are people who understand their role of servants and look for opportunities to serve others. A disciple focuses on the needs of others and invests life in others. I just had to share a story that I came across that illustrates this so well. The little cartoon that I shared may have cast Christians in a bad light, but I guess this is the rest of the story. The late Dawson Trotman, founder of the Navigators organization, was visiting Taiwan on one of his overseas trips. During the visit, he hiked with a Taiwanese pastor back into one of the mountain villages to meet with some of the nationals, some of the national Christians. The roads and the trails were wet, and their shoes became very muddy. Later, someone asked this Taiwanese pastor what he remembered most about Dawson Trotman. Without hesitation, he said, he cleaned my shoes. How surprised this pastor must have been to get up in the morning and realize that this influential Christian leader from America was already up and had cleaned the mud from his shoes. Yet this spirit of service marked Trotman his entire life, even to the end. He died in service to another. He died rescuing a little girl from drowning. (coughs) Pardon me. 
Number four, we serve as an act of self-denial and to remind ourselves that we are not of this world. Let me say it another way. We serve to deny our carnal nature. Galatians 5 says this, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. We are called to liberty, but we are not to use liberty as an opportunity for our fleshly sinful desires. Galatians 6, 3 says, If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We don't want to do that. We don't want to deceive ourselves. A little while after the meal, after the Passover meal, the disciples, having just been shown what service looks like, acted just like a bunch of guys. They went out and they began to argue about who was the greatest. Luke chapter 22 tells the story. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. But Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who's more important, the one that sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. Let me just recap that passage. Jesus said, in this world, kings and great men lorded over other people. But not here. Not you guys. Follow me and I am among you as one who serves. Greatness in the kingdom of God, in other words, is the result of servanthood, never the goal of servanthood. True greatness doesn't come from a desire to be great. It comes from a desire to serve. Christians ought to act according to a different set of priorities than the world. This is made clear again in Matthew 20. Jesus speaking again. Gentiles lord it over others, but it's different for you. Whoever desires to be great, let him be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you, let him be your slave. Folks, the way that we operate the the social norms inside the church ought to be different than they are anywhere else. As we're motivated to love one another and as we show our love by our service. Finally, number five, my final point. 
we serve in spite of our limitations. Some people just don't have any desire to serve. That's just real. There are some people who just don't feel qualified to serve. Peter addressed this in one of his epistles where he said, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Did you realize that when you put your gift into service, no matter how small you consider your gift to be, that you're being a good steward of the grace of God? Now, I just want to pause to say that some people are reluctant to serve because they've been hurt in the past and have found it just safer not to get too involved. The writer of Hebrews encourages us to stir up love and good works in one another, and I think the order of that's important. First, we help people heal by rekindling love. And we do that by loving them first and by serving them first, and then we encourage them toward good works. One other thing. I've heard this several times. Sometimes we use the excuse. I'm just not that gifted. That's not my spiritual gift. And we use that as an excuse to not serve. It doesn't require very much giftedness to fold up and put away a chair. Or refill a glass of tea. Or clean up something that's been spilled. I believe in spiritual gifts. The Bible has a lot to say about spiritual gifts, but sometimes what we need here in the church is the gift of doing what needs to be done. I'll leave you with these words from Galatians chapter 6. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Who's that? You're in the household of faith right now, right? Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. We're here for a purpose, folks. We're here to worship God, to fellowship with one another, to grow as disciples, and to serve from a heart of love. In just a second, I'm going to ask Jason to come back up and and play. We're going to have just a short time of invitation, not very long. The invitation is simply this. If you have not experienced the love of Christ, the regenerating love of Christ, whatever your life has been up till now, he wants to make it new. He can make you all over again. If you haven't experienced that, then I want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Christ, and I'd love to pray with you as you do that. 
you've been having difficulty with somebody in the fellowship of this church, then I would ask that you do whatever you need to do to be reconciled, that you go and tap that person on the shoulder and say, will you pray with them? I guarantee you they will. If you're looking for a church home and you would like to join this church, I'd like to talk to you too. And then finally, maybe you need to find a place of service. We've got a lot of them. There's a lot of activity that goes on every week behind the scenes. And we need people who are ready to serve. Let's stand together as as we sing and as you respond.